What is going on, everybody? Welcome into a special Saturday edition of the Daily Energy News Beat Stand Up here on this gorgeous, as I mentioned, Saturday, November 4th, 2023. Um, here for our weekly recap, um, I've got Stuart Turley here. He's the director and publisher of the world's greatest website, energynewsbeat.com. It is a busy week this week. A lot of good shows, a lot of oh. good stuff. Nice full week. Um, it's to be a good one. It's a fantastic week. And I want to give a shout out to our folks that are reaching in. Oh, it's just unbelievable. Uh, we have Tim Kalen, uh, who is a renewable energy management. There is a storage uh, outfit that are a new startup. I don't like storage or things that have to have subsidies. And he's got a renewable one. Uh, we also have Dan uh, with uh, Combo Curve. It's coming out. So we got some big oh. ones coming out this weekend. Yes, we got to get we got to get Dan's out. We love them over at Combo Curve. So, all right, guys, enough of it. We're going to go kick it over to the weekly recap. Um, but as always, the stories you're about to hear are brought to you again by the world's greatest website. Check us out online. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Smash that like button if I was a YouTuber. But it's now time for the weekly recap. We'll see you on Sunday, guys. Uh, Europe's wind power goal hits a new snag, security. Michael, do you remember when some random guy on Substack brought out the Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2, and we found out that he was saying that it, there's even one theory that the Ukraine on a yacht uh, parked it right over the Nord Stream 1 and 2, and we're going, holy smokes, what a bunch of morons. So let me just tee this up. Russia's had some subs going around the whole North Sea, and there is a lot in here. Turbines have no barriers or surveillance. The guy interviewed in this article says, we don't we check out at five o'clock. Okay, what a great job, Michael. These guys are on on the field. They go out and they work in the field. It's an hour out there by boat. You, you, you know, you do, you turn two screws, it's lunchtime, then you go back and then you got an hour trip back. If you're out by five, this is great work. Now, there's two quotes in here. You have these offshore wind farms, which are in international water or governmental water. But the government is saying that the operators should be in charge of security. But as you said... Head of Nystad Wind, co-owned by and operated by Denmark-based Orstad, the world's biggest offshore wind developer. Our technicians go home at 5 p.m., as they should, necessarily. Exactly. People working 24-7 shifts, but something's got to give here because they bring up, you know, you're right. If This quote he told Reuters, if the Russians wanted to cause damage, they very easily could. Quote, we right. don't do any monitoring. That's kind of wild to say in a public setting. Isn't that crazy? Now, let me throw this squirrel at you. This is an ugly squirrel that's about to hit this one. Senator uh, Lindsey Graham said we need to bomb uh, Iraq's oil production. He said that. So, and that would be in order to do, uh, you know, damage to their cash flow. So, if you sit back and kind of go, 
we got all these people going after energy security around the world. And if we don't do it, and I don't want us to, believe me, I want this on record. I don't want us taking out Iran's oil. There's ways of enforcing uh, sanctions, but Israel might. So if you take Israel and you take this escalating, and then you take, I'm serious, a wind farm, even Hamas, can get a thing and take out North Sea. Here's, this here's, is all I, I, disagree, I disagree a little with you. I, I'm going to disagree with you halfway. On the okay. I'm not sure if the, if the actual physical security, I think Russia and Hamas has have better things to do than go blow up a wind farm that's keeping three houses online. What I think Person. is interesting and what this and what this article points out is if you read, you go about halfway down here, developers like Orstad think governments should take the lead and help provide billions of dollars needed to protect their infrastructure. This is a money grab, Stu. It's a, it is. Hey, we're scared. It's security. While we actually are losing a billion dollars and need to make up for the fact that we're losing billions on offshore wind farms by you have to now pay for security. I think it's fantastic. That is a fantastic point. And honestly, yeah, I, and, and I, I'm going to you I'm, blow up a wind farm. Russia's got better things to do than take their nuclear powered subs and roll them through N- Norway's um, um, farms. I don't know. That just seems to be like they've got bigger fish to fry. You've got a fantastic point. And I want to say, well done. Uh, you did good. And honestly, if you want to, if I was putting myself in Putin, I would say, hey, I don't need to blow up a, um, a wind farm. I just let it die. Because yeah, it's let them not the same. Because then when they're not making money, so uh, build more. Putin probably wants more wind farms. Yeah, they're all not building anymore and they can't afford to maintain them. All right. The next story follows along with the other one with energy security in the North Sea. And when we talk about this article, it says hostile political attitude to the North Sea and gas threatens Mm -hmm. uh, energy security. So it's not only the wind farms that are sitting ducks out there. And uh, this is going to be I did not know how much uh, actually is out there in the North Sea. Knew it was a lot, but let's talk about how much may leave. Let's come in here, and I am going all the way down in here, and it says the North Sea is the only basin where outlook for surplus of high uh, specification of drilling rigs, meaning other regions more competitive for business with longer work durations and higher rates and offer. Mm -hmm. Once these units leave the UK, increasingly it is unlikely that they will return. That was in the OE, uh, which is the uh, Energy UK 2023 Annual Economic Report. Let me get you some numbers. It is six wells have started drilling so far this year. At least one more is expected. Shell and one well, uh, Pensacola, which started drilling in late 2022, uh, have recoverable resources of almost 1 million BOE. Here's where the problem is. Once these leave, the amount of oil rigs that were funded and in project last year are down 30 to 30 to uh, or even more. They're coming you have down. To layer in, you have to layer in the political atmosphere that's going on. You have to remember, you know, the yep. conservative party over in the UK is 
not what we would consider the conservative party is. So no. the fact that the conservative party right now still has a de facto 75% tax on oil and gas production, considering the windfall profits and the That's fact right. that the labor party who's expected to win the next general election only, you know, adds to that fear. There's the, you know, the opposition leader, Kern Starmer has already said he's going to maintain that 75% tax on oil and gas production. So, right. you know, they're, as you mentioned, these rigs, when they when they get done with, with, with their drilling contracts, they're leaving. They ain't coming back. They mentioned they go down to uh, Australia, South Africa. They're everywhere. That's right. Here's some numbers. Over the last two decades, the UK oil and gas industry has produced 14.5 billion BOE, but only 6.5 BOE in new field developments have been approved. 45% reserves. This means the gap between total recovery and remaining reserves has closed significantly. The offshore rig count, Michael? 283 producing fields, of which 180 are expected to stop. That's 45% of UK oil. At least 20 fields will stop producing this year. Those numbers are staggering. Well, what? Hey, we were talking about this before the show. Sometimes you got to be careful what you wish for. Uranium demand hits decade high as nuclear renaissance gains traction. That's pretty cool. If we're going to get to net zero, um, which is what my bank account looks like right now, you know, carbon net zero is my bank account. Uh, you sit back and kind of go, uh, yeah, we're looking for sponsors out there, Michael. <laughs> what a way to solicit. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I've got a sign on my Yes, we'll work for sponsors. Uh, rising climate change awareness is a renewed interest in energy. Now, I disagree with that one line in there. It's not we'll work for uh, the climate change awareness. It's people don't want to, you know, they want to be able to heat their homes and put, for, you know, food on the table. And nuclear is the only stable source out there if you're going to throw renewables on the grid. Yeah, I mean, Besides I think what this, natural what, gas. what this article clearly states is that there's an overwhelming shift in the mindset of people to embrace nuclear. Now, is it anywhere near what we need to be in order to achieve what you call this renaissance of carbon net zero? No, it's nowhere close. We're going to need to continue. We're going to need to fix the regulatory. You know, I was I saw, you know, Bill Maher of all people did a, did a, did a 10 minute long expose on his show last week, specifically talking about articles that we have brought up on Newsbeat in terms of how much renewable and energy, specifically renewable energy is waiting in the regulatory system. You know, there's, yeah. you know, hundreds, you know, there's thousands and thousands of megawatts waiting to be approved. If only we could get out of our own way. My only thing with, with nuclear is that it will end up down this path. And it's the reason why nuclear hasn't been rolled out soon. It's because they continue to die in the regulatory process. Yep. Hey, I need to reach out to Bill. Uh, and since he was a, a watcher of the show, you know, you gotta, you gotta love it since he's getting his energy tips from us. He's slowly getting red pilled. You'll see it. Give him about five years and he'll be, he'll be, he'll, he'll switch sides. Completely. I, I gotta admit Bill, Bill Maher used to be just a total squirrel. Now he's only an ugly baby. And, and I mean, he's really come a long way as far as a humanitarian goes. I think what's interesting, though, is there's and not to get too off topic, but I think somebody like him has been fairly consistent over his entire career. It's the landscape of politics that is completely uh, shifted beyond him. Uh, that uh, great point. 
uh, I love what he's saying. World Bank uh, warns oil price could soar to $150 a barrel. Michael, I kind of got tickled at this story. Uh, It was just kind of crazy. And it starts out describing about the Hamas, uh, the Israeli-Hamas conflict going over there. And it says oil prices could uh, sort of a record high, more than $150 a barrel, if the war between Israel and Hamas leads to the full-scale conflict. Mm-hmm. However, Michael, we're all sitting here scratching our heads, but they take it one step further. They've got a little... Oh, what are those uh, decoder rings that you used to get in Cracker Jacks here? Let me go through these. A small disruption scenario, which the global supply would be reduced by 500,000 to 2 million barrels a day, roughly the equivalent reduction seen during the first Libyan war. The oil price would range to $93 to 102 a barrel. You know, I at least they backed it up with some data and mm-hmm. some stuff. Now let's go to the medium disruption: three to five million barrels a day if the global supply and oil prices would rise by twenty-one percent to thirty-five percent, taking it between one hundred nine and one twenty-one. The large disruption would be. Uh, let's see here, uh, kind of like the Yom Kippur War that just app. You know the on the 50th anniversary of the Yom mm-hmm. Kippur war mm-hmm. uh, would result in 56 to 75% increase between 140 and 157. Man, for Darren Woods, the economy would be doing great then. Oh, it'd be really good, especially at his, his house. So my thought process on this article was that they did it. Actually, they did it. They got a crayon out better than Oklahoma state universities. And it was They had some thought behind it. Now, do I agree with it? No. I mean, here's the thing. I think, you know, 500,000 to 2 million barrel disruption, that's a pretty big wide range for a small disruption. I think what's interesting is the fact that what do we need to get to get to these disruptions, which, you know, is the real question. Because if we looked at what oil prices did today, seems to me that that small disruption scenario might not even come true. So, we're talking about a, a P90, P50, P10. What's the the P99 look? Because that may be where we're right. headed in terms of in, you know, do I see the the large disruptions scenario 56 to 75% increase in prices yeah. to 140, 157 a barrel? I mean, that seems to me we're gonna need to we need that there's gonna be need to see some escalation quickly. And and maybe the World Bank might know something we don't. Is that coming? Who knows? I do think and, they've probably laid out a good right. range of scenarios, though I do think the go the 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 as is scenario, which is eh, we're kind of in a in, in an ambiguous position, in my opinion, is the one I'd vote for. Right. Uh, one thing on these numbers, when I was looking at it, the medium disruption at one hundred nine to one twenty one is based off of a three million to five million barrels a day cut in supply. And uh, Iran, uh, when uh, Trump was in office, was doing 500,000 barrels per day. They're now doing 3 million barrels per day. So if uh, Kelsey Graham goes out and has his way and we bomb, he bombs, I don't want to say the U.S. bombs, but he bombs, uh, boom, there you are. There's that one item in that range. Does it go to the higher price? I don't think so for a long time. Yeah, I, I just ran a 23 and me. Lindsey Graham and Darren Woods are actually related. 
So now I see a no way a joke. That's a joke. It's a joke. Yeah, I bet they're still related to Janet Yellen. <laughs> Inflation <laughs> is true. Inflation is transitory. Russia poised to sharply increase oil exports in no exports. But now you got me can't talk exports in November. I'll tell you what, this is uh, analysts link the move to maintenance works in several refineries and higher global crude prices. Russia is likely to increase all exports in November. Here's some key numbers, Michael. Mm-hmm. 200,000 barrel per day increase in next month, uh, reaching up to 3.7 billion barrels per day. That's a bunch. That is a bunch. Billion barrels per day. That is a bunch. And here's, that's even well, I think what's, what, what, what's interesting is this comes in the face of the fact that the next article you're about to cover, which is, or, or one of the articles that we're looking at is EU looks to expand sanctions on Russia. So I, I know I'm jumping ahead here, but just the, the sharp decrease between what's going on on the actual ground level, which is Kepler, they're a data provider. They're not right. going to just say that without having some underlying facts. Well, then why would the EU be looking to increase sanctions? Hmm, it's almost as if what you've been saying this whole time is absolutely true, Stu. Sanctions don't work. Absolutely. They don't work. And all they do, Putin laughs. Hey, he laughs all the way to the bank. Let's go ahead and go to the next article here. Russia's oil exports climb despite commitment to cut supply. Here's where I got a little tickled at this article here a little bit. What politicians actually uh, tells the truth? Right. So is it Novak, their head uh, of their oil and energy? Is he over there going, oh, yeah. okay, he's going to do an imitation of Putin. So this is Stuart Hurley imitating Novak, who's imitating Putin. Hey, I will cut. Right. So if you sit back and kind of take a look, the four week average crude shipments out of Russia were slightly lower, lower than three point four eight million in the week of October 29th, around 20,000 barrels per day compared to the four week average uh, the week before. Here's where it goes. Russia has pledged to reduce its oil exports by 300,000 barrels per day until the end of 2023 in a show of solidarity with its OPEC plus partner, Saudi Arabia. They're wanting to help increase the price because, Michael, if you remember our article uh, a couple of days, uh, Saudi Arabia wants it at that 120 to 107 to 120 mark. So Russia is, is saying yes, but they're doing the, the old uh, shaking their head yes. And your wife is saying, did you take the trash out? And you're going, yep. yep, nope, I didn't. So it's pretty interesting when you take a look at this. But what is pre, uh, pre this is a precursor to the other article you gave a hint at. The EU looks to expand sanctions on Russia. Why did the sanction cross the road? It was to try to penalize somebody. And this was not what happened. I mean, so Block has so far imposed 11 packages of restrictions against Moscow over the Ukraine. They are now talking about the next round, which would impact some $5.3 billion in trade with Russia. This is nuts. It's going to try, they're targeting trying to skirt the uh, bans through third countries. They can't even, you know, manage their way out of a paper bag, let alone a crisis. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to f- make it seem like we're just we're standing up for Russia. It's clearly what they're doing no. in Ukraine is wrong. But it, it's pretty funny to the level at which we will go to attempt to sanction somebody without really doing it. I mean, they're trying to go after the loopholes in which they're using to get around the current sanctions. But all this rolls into it's clear sanctions don't work. And if they're able to skirt and get access to the dark fleet, I guarantee now they're going to have access and get around these. So it all comes back to say, you, you know, like you said, you can say you're in you've passed sanctions on one hand without really enforcing anything on the other. Oh, it's it's like uh, President Biden, uh, and I use the word loosely because he doesn't even know he's president. And when you sit back and, and think, he lessened, do you remember right before we were on this, right as he uh, released the sanctions on the Nord Stream, he goes, oh, yeah, you guys, go ahead, put in the Nord Stream. And, and then uh, they did not enforce the sanctions on Iran in two different ways. And that went from uh, Trump, under Trump, they were doing less than uh, 300,000. They were lucky to do the 250,000 to 300,000 in Iran under Trump. Now they're up there with Russia at that 3 million uh, barrel per mark, 3.5 million. This is nuts. So no, it, it really is nuts. And I think it goes to show Unfortunately, you've been right from the beginning. Sanctions don't work. 